Welcome back. You're listening to Patriarch, the retelling of the biblical story of Abraham uh, by me, the author Colin Piper. And these next two podcasts, though not action-packed, are incredibly pertinent uh, to our lives today as they reflect upon the fallout and the consequences of poor decisions by Abraham and his family and how distance is created in a previously loving marriage and how an alive faith dies. And yet, even in the embers of both, there is hope. Patriarch, Chapter 4, Part 5 As soon as the tent flap fell down behind Hagar, Sarai had been overcome with remorse and fear. For a while she sat trying to come to terms with what had happened. As she replayed the scene in her mind, her her eyes moved from the embroidery which had fallen on the floor beside her to the table on which a a ring mark told of where the cup had once stood and, and from the hands which had thrown the cup to the place by the tent's entrance where the cup now lay. The evidence was irrefutable. Never before had she physically attacked anyone. She never considered herself capable of it, and now that she was again seeing clearly, she shuddered at the thought of how she'd been able to do it. What had she become? Not being able to bear life was one thing. Seeing to wound or destroy it was something else. It scared her and then broke her so that she fell back into the cushion where she lay and wept. Eliezer was probably the first to notice the change in Abram. The patriarch had thrown himself into the busyness of farming, obsessively checking flocks and herds personally. And if Eliezer was prepared to be honest, which publicly at least he wasn't, Abram was actually more of a hindrance than a help. But the chief herdsman coped quietly as ever. He'd seen it all before at times of stress. It was how his master coped. He remembered the time back in Egypt when Abram had thrown himself into the supervision of the dramatically and suddenly increased stock. There were other occasions too when Abram seemed in need of the space afforded by the fields, although the whys and the wherefores of what Abram was doing was largely a mystery to a man who understood and accepted himself as a simple, straightforward shepherd. But what concerned even a simple, straightforward shepherd was that this time Abram had nothing to drive him out into the fields, neither increased flocks nor particular stress in life. And what was more, when Abram got there, he didn't seek out any space as he had before. He even appeared to avoid it. Instead, he sought out male company and engaged in trivial conversation he would previously have had no time for. Most confusing of all to Eliezer, though, was the fact that this was a time when Abram should have been back in the camp waiting expectantly and excitedly to become a father. Something was wrong, and Eliezer simply didn't get it. 
The chief herdsman had a couple of wives and a quiver full of children, and yet the birth of a child was still something special to him. So he struggled to understand Abram, who'd waited so long for a child and was now expecting that most exciting of all gifts of God, a firstborn. The man appeared distant almost, dare he say it, disinterested. Of course he daren't say it, and although other men thought it, they daren't say it either. In Eliezer's world, some things, if not most things, were best left unsaid. Abram, though, knew the questions his friends were pondering and was grateful that they weren't asking them. He was relieved to be able to use the otherness, not only of his position, but also his disposition as a veil to hide behind and avoid the awkward questions. Of course, he couldn't hide from his own questions in this way, and so he had had to create a distraction of busyness to quiet the niggling of his inner man. But it was a busyness which also conveniently took him from Sarai, Hagar, and anyone else who wasn't so easily fooled and who might trouble his fragile soul. Including among those excluded was his God. The plan, however, was very limited in its effectiveness. There were times he had to see Sarai or Hagar, and whenever he did, he became immediately aware that his pretense of busyness fooled neither of them, and he felt stupid, awkward, and guilty for persisting in the act. But persist he did, and unusually for Sarai at least, he was allowed to do so. Increasingly, Abram considered himself a fraud. He was a fraud to the world. So many loved him, looked up to him, and would even go to war to die for him. But Abram was bemused how they missed what was so obvious to him. Why did they believe in someone so flawed? Even when he so callously betrayed his wife in Egypt, people still believed in him. Perhaps they needed to. But maybe one day the truth would come out and the lie would then come crashing down. He was also a fraud to Sarai. She knew him, or she thought she did, all his weaknesses, or most of them. She had suffered because of them first in Egypt and again now. Whenever she needed him to be strong, he failed her, and now there was worse. Oh, how would his love feel if she truly knew his heart? For the first time in their marriage, there would have to be some things hidden between them. He was just too ashamed to admit how he'd opened the door to lusts which had now set up home in his heart. He feared the pain and uncertainty this would cause her to compound the pain and wretchedness she already felt. Now there would forever be an awkwardness between them an unspokenness which neither of them dare address. And as long as it remained unaddressed, it would also remain unchallenged and therefore undefeatable. Who knew what havoc it might consequently wreak. He was, though, ultimately a fraud before his God. 
All this mess had been so avoidable if he hadn't been so weak. If he'd stood in faith on the words God had spoken, none of this would have happened, and this is what sobered Abram the most. A darkness had come over him, an evil darkness, which expressed and manifested itself in a variety of ways, and in particular a deep, reviling, even hatred. Mostly this was a self-disgust, but... Many were the times Abram had to check a transference of that loathing to others. He'd found himself irritated with Sarai, who'd gotten them all into this mess. With Hagar, who'd become the focus of it. Even the unborn child, who was the fruit of it. And and God, who could have got them out of it, but chose not to. Then no sooner had the irritation risen within him, than guilt followed in its wake. Only he could be so pathetic as to blame others for his own inadequacies. And so, all Abram could do was to allow himself less time to think, and to distance himself from anyone who might discover the truth if they came too close. And top of that list, of course, came God himself. Sarai, though, didn't need to come close to know the truth. Intuitively, as ever, she knew, and ordinarily wouldn't have stood for the male nonsense of putting up and shutting up. Gently but firmly, she would have found a way of prizing open Abram's closed heart and mind to allow the wounds, both his and hers, to heal, not fester. Oh, but now, unlike before, She lacked the confidence or indeed strength to lead Abram to a place of openness and healing. There had of course been previous times when things were difficult and there had been awkwardness between them, but there had always been hope. This time it was somehow different. She could no longer read all of Abram's heart. He wouldn't let her. And in any case, she no longer wanted to pry. For the first time in her life, she was fearful of what she might find there. By night, in her dream, she stood in the entrance to her tent, watching Abram, who stood watching her from a distance. And each night, the distance was that little bit greater. By day, both got on with their lives. One apparently busy and successful, the other more aimless and futile but in fact both increasingly empty. Of course, Hagar also was a victim, not only of Abram's remoteness, but also Sarai's when she returned to the camp. The only thing which made it somewhat easier for her was that increasingly, month by month, she had something or someone new upon which to dote and focus. However, there was more to it than that. Hagar's worth was no longer wrapped up in Sarai, and so her distance, although still hurtful, was at least less devastating. Nor was it, as it might have appeared, focused on the unborn child. By the springs of Beer Lahai Roy, she discovered a whole new sense of worth. A worth to the God most high of heaven and earth. 
And so it was that as the patriarch drifted from God, the maidservant came to him. At first, Abram's distance was a matter of the will caused by anger. God had gotten him into this mess, he assured himself. It was all for God that he'd done what he'd done, and now it was God who would have to bear the consequences. Soon, however, the distance was more to do with guilt. Abram knew the truth of his heart, and he knew God knew too. He was both ashamed by it and powerless to change it, and so in his awkwardness he distanced himself from the only one who could do something. Finally it became a matter of fact. Whatever had caused the distance no longer seemed important. The only thing which mattered was that God was distant. And life went on. In fact, life went on in every area much as before. Sarai mused that few would notice the wintry coldness which was setting in between Abram and herself. In fact, with the exception of Eliezer and one or two others, most would assume all was well or even better than before. They wouldn't notice the missing nuances which speak of intimacy, the affectionate touch or loving exchange of glances. This was their private language of intimacy, inaudible and incomprehensible to the world at large. They probably wouldn't register that the couple's conversation was increasingly businesslike and the silences were now cold, not warm. They may even note the outward appearance and remark at how close everyone was. For instance, both Sarai and Hagar visited Sarai and Abram visited Hagar during her first labour pangs and both returned on the birth of the child. Celebrations were limited, but that was to be expected of a man like Abram. He was different to others, and therefore his way of celebrating would be different too. He celebrated victory in war by communion with his God and not in revelry with others. The child's name set the tone. God hears. This was a holy child, born of God in answer to man's cry. It wasn't to be celebrated like any ordinary child, rather it was to be revered and honoured. Abram wasn't so sure though. He was more than a little surprised when Hagar had asked him permission to name the child so unusually. He'd spent a little time with Hagar and knew nothing of her encounter with her, his God. He only now perceived something in her which stirred and reminded his heart of those golden days. Briefly, the shutters came down and he looked Hagar in the eye and saw faith. But then guilt rose up and he had to look away. It was a complicated guilt which feared to look at Hagar in case something might rise or be revealed in his heart, but also because he saw in the maidservant what the patriarch should have known. It was all so wrong. Yes, God heard, but he also spoke. And Abram had lost the ability to hear his voice. Ishmael was a testimony to the faithfulness of God hearing 
But equally, Avram was aware that the child was a testimony to the unfaithfulness of his own not listening. For a moment, looking at the mother and child, Abram wanted to fall down there and then before his God and worship again. He wanted to say sorry and offer to him all he had, all his gold and wealth, all he was, including his reputation, which so thinly veiled and perfumed the realities which lay beneath. And all he felt, the deadly pain and darkness, he wanted to offer everything Not as a king, but as a man. He wanted to, and nearly did. But couldn't, and didn't. Instead, he turned away, not to turn back again, for thirteen years. Abram, like most people called by God, had dry times when, Not only the call of God, but God himself becomes remote, almost irrelevant. Normally he found these times hard to measure. They were like ships drifting off course, imperceptibly, little by little, day by day. It was difficult to say when exactly the drift began, and sometimes equally hard to say when the wind turned and the ship began to head back on its ordained path. Not so this time. He knew both when things went wrong and equally and dramatically, indefinitely, when God intervened again to put them right. You're listening to the Patriot Podcast. For more information, you can go to BibleNovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support Overseas Mission.